and turn to Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 8. And once you have turned there, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Page 939 in a... In a pew Bible, if you have one, starting at verse 8 and reading to verse 17. Hear the word of the Lord. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may know at last, may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also, who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The book of Romans has changed the world because of its content. Its content has the power to change a person's life. Not only does it have the content have the power to change a person's life, its content has the power to change a community's life, a community of faith's life. Its content has the power to change a community's life. So think of New Lenox. New Lenox has the potential to change because of the content found in the book of Romans. Here's even more mind-boggling. The content in the book of Romans has the power to change a state. It has the power to change a nation. It has the power to change the world. In fact, as an example, Martin Luther, one of the great reformers, changed the landscape of the entire religious world, opening the world, opening the door for the Protestant Reformation. Why? Because his life, his very life was changed by his studying of the book of Romans. Brothers and sisters, you and I would not be here today worshiping in the way that we do with our understanding of the gospel if it was not for Martin Luther studying the book of Romans. The Protestant Reformation took off like a wildfire because a man studied scriptures and his eyes were open to the gospel, the glories of the gospel, found here in the book of Romans. And it was at Romans 1 verse 17 
where we find the very epicenter of the change that takes place. A little bit about the story. I told Todd that uh, as I was reading this week about the story of Martin Luther, there was part of me that wanted to keep on telling more and more of this story, and I finally had to kind of start cutting things out. But you need to know a little bit about Martin Luther. Martin Luther struggled with his relationship with God. At his very core, he struggled with his relationship with God. He was a monk, and he dedicated his entire life to the service of God and to seeking after God. His life was just dedicated to serving God and and seeking after Him. But the teaching of the church caused Martin Luther to develop a very hatred of God. And this was due to the fact that the church taught that one must become righteous. They must become righteous. Righteous as, as God is righteous. And how were they to do it? They were to do this, achieve righteousness through religious activity. The more that you do, the more righteous you become. Keep adding more activity so that you can become like God. Become righteous. In other words, the church taught that God makes people righteous as they make themselves righteous. Therefore, Martin Luther gave his life to working tirelessly to make himself righteous by keeping the law and serving the church. Work hard. Give more. Do more. Work hard. And when he came to the term righteousness that we find here in Romans, he found out that he was hating the word. When he came to the word, whether referring to God or to what he was supposed to be, Luther knew that he had no hope. He was screwed. He was stuck. And who could blame him? Luther found himself hating righteousness. The righteousness of God in this very context, talking like this, creates an impossible requirement. It creates a a continual fear. It it creates a perpetual failing. And it creates a lack of freedom and true joy. And some of us, even in our own Protestant upbringing, still are here. I need to please God and earn God's approval and righteousness through just doing more. Trying to actively achieve God's righteousness was and is absolutely impossible. And it's absolutely debilitating. It takes a man or a woman out at their knees because there is no way that we can ever achieve this kind of righteousness. But praise be to God, there was one day for Martin Luther when he was in the Tower of the Black Cloister in Wittenberg, Germany, where everything, absolutely everything changed for him. Luther described the moment like lightning striking his conscience or a thunderbolt in his heart. It was that life-altering where it was like lightning striking. 
what happened was that Martin Luther came to understand the meaning of Romans 1 verse 17 when it says that the righteous shall live by what? Faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Romans changed his life. Romans 1.17 changed his life. Or better, the truth of Romans 1 verse 17, the righteous shall live by faith, changed Martin Luther's life. Last week we saw that there was this overarching theme of, of the entire book of Romans. Righteousness through the gospel. That's our theme. Righteousness through the gospel. And I tried to help you understand some of the background of the book of Romans. For those of you who missed it last week, I explained that Paul wrote this letter to a series of house churches who were struggling just to get along. Who had never met the Apostle Paul and who Paul wanted to motivate to reach the people in Spain where the gospel had not yet been preached. And what did he do to motivate them? To unify them? He preached the gospel. This book of Romans is the most systematic and in-depth explanation of righteousness that comes through the gospel. So today what I want to do is I want to show you what is in this powerful verse in Romans 1 verse 17. And I want to connect it to power and then I want to connect it to passion. I want to show you content, the, a, a presupposition, a, I want, or, sorry, not a presupposition, a proposition, a truth, and I want to connect it in a way that leads to power and to passion. So we're going to start, start off with what is the proposition? The proposition is the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous live by faith. The power in Romans is the truth found within all 16 chapters of the book of Romans. And the truth is propositional, meaning that there are statements, there are maxims, there are, maxims, there are principles, there are concepts, there are spiritual ideas which are clearly communicated here in this book. You may have heard a statement like this. Ideas have consequences. Well, that is especially true from a spiritual standpoint as well. The gospel has consequences. And some of these consequences are forgiveness, our reconciliation, our mercy, our justice. It is, we also see joy, we see worship, we see gratitude, we see our Christian witness lived out. And they all center around what we find in Romans 1 verse 17. This idea has consequences. So I want to examine our text today by looking at the passage backwards. Beginning in verse 17 and working our way back to 8 through 15. So let's start in verse 17. Verse 17 shows us that there is a link between faith and righteousness. Faith and righteousness. And there are two key parts to this verse. First we read, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. What is the it that is being referred to 
in verse 17? Give me, give me an answer. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. It is what? The gospel. The gospel. According to verse 16, it's the gospel. But what is this righteousness of God referring to? What is righteousness? It's kind of our Christianese language, right? If you're an engineer, you have certain language, right, Matt? If you're a teacher, you have certain language. If you're an electrician, you've got certain language. If you're whatever you are, you've got certain language that you understand. As Christians, we have a language. We have vocabulary that we have to understand. We don't change our terminology. We don't dumb it down. We use it and explain it. So what is this righteousness of God? What is it referring to? You might initially think that Paul is talking about how God reveals his righteousness as if the gospel reveals his character. In other words, God is righteous. His character is holy. It is upstanding. It is right. A right character of God. While it is true that the gospel reveals the right nature, the right character of our God, that is not what Paul is referring to here. Rather, the righteousness of God is in reference to salvation. In other words, Paul is talking about the righteousness of God found in human beings. So in the gospel, we see the way that God's righteousness comes to sinners. In the gospel, we see... God's pathway for righteousness coming to broken, lost, spiritually dead human beings like you and me. So the statement is not about God's character, but about God's righteousness that comes to us through the gospel. So how does this righteousness come to us? What is the vehicle, what is the means that it comes to us? It comes to us from faith for faith. That means righteousness comes faith or by belief we receive righteousness by believing and it does not come as martin luther discovered it does not come by works what's more from faith for faith means that faith is the origin it is the starting place for righteousness but that's not where it stops That's its origin. And it is also, this righteousness is also, faith is also the direction in which it leads. In other words, Christianity is entered into by faith. And it also continues by faith. So faith is not the the one time I came to Christ, man, I believed in Jesus Christ and now I'm done. No, no, Christianity is lived by faith continually. It's an ongoing need in our Christian walk. My favorite example of this is found in Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. In other words, man, he saved me. That's the origin. But I continue to live by faith. I continue to find my rooting and my direction in Christ. So Christianity is essentially about faith. 
all religions are based upon some system of, of, of works, right? All of them. What's more, human beings naturally look to their work as a mean of, means of acceptance. I find that for me personally, right? I'm, I'm sure most of you, 99.9% .9 of you do too. You find your identity in what you do. I'm a teacher. I'm a mom. I'm a husband. I'm an engineer. I'm a, I'm a this, I'm a that. You fill in your own blank. That's where my identity is found, and that is a system of works, is what it is. By the activity that I do, I find my identity. Oh, how quickly that will screw you up and leave you empty and hopeless and dry. So the good news is that we have been given the gospel. This is why the gospel is so potentially liberating and absolutely unique. The natural inclination of our human hearts and, our and the disposition of all religions is works, activity, doing, finding meaning in our doing. But the good news of the gospel is that God's righteousness is given. It is not earned. And that is good news. So in verse 17, Paul is essentially saying that the gospel, God has revealed, it, it, is about how we are being made right with God. And it is through faith that this all happens. God counts people righteous. God counts people right and upstanding in Christ. He forgives them in Jesus. That's how we are made right. Being right with God, therefore, is not something that I must work to create. I came out of a, a culture as a, as a kid where it just felt like everything had to be done. I had to work and attend and be a part of and do all these things to be right with God and even right with His people, right? If I don't do these things, I, I have a wrong standing with them. But man, I also feel like in, as a result, I have a wrong standing with God. That is not what Christianity is about. I must believe that God will do these things in me. He will make me right through Christ Jesus as a gift. So the entrance into Christianity and the life of a Christian is continually, constantly marked by faith. Constantly marked by faith. Why? Because it is how the righteousness of God continues to come to us. It is a continual gift. Now that is the first element in, in verse 17. That's number one. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith and for faith. Our, our ongoing activity of growing and uh, maturing in faith. But there's a second element. Here Paul cites, and if you're, you're good in your uh, knowing how to use your Bible, you're, you're going to notice there in verse 17 that there's a little note, footnote, after the righteous shall live by faith. And you're going to notice at the end of that footnote, where that comes from. It comes from where? Habakkuk 2. Habakkuk 2. Habakkuk 2. 
So what is, why is Paul quoting here? You know, quotes always are significant. When a pastor uses a quote, it's because, man, I read this book and it's, it struck my heart. It has meaning and I want to refer back to it because this person communicated something real. So Paul, what is Paul doing here? He is linking this concept of righteousness and faith with the Old Testament. And why is he doing that? He, he's saying the righteous shall live by faith. Okay, we got that. But why, why must you reference back? Paul is using the Old Testament passage as support that his statement about righteousness comes by faith and it is true. No, in fact, it has always been true. This is not just a New Testament idea. Jesus Christ came and now righteousness comes by faith and for faith. No, this has always been the truth. This is how God works. This is God's economy of working out salvation. So Paul uses Habakkuk 2, verse 4, to make a very important point. Salvation, the righteousness of God, does not come by works. It comes by faith. And he'll always argue that this is the way that God has always, always worked. God has not changed. This is the central message of the entire New Testament and the essence of what makes the good news good news. The beautiful message of the gospel is that God grants to sinful human beings like you, like me, He grants us righteousness that they could never earn and never deserve. Even our study in in Exodus, you get a very clear picture that those children of Israel deserved nothing. They were rebellious, headstrong children that wanted their own way, and they deserved none of it. But God grants it to sinners as a gift, which we must receive by faith as we believe in His Word. So the proposition is absolutely simple. The truth is absolutely simple. The righteous live by faith, trusting in God. But the implications are sweeping, and they're, they're eternal. Romans 1.17 contains a proposition that changed everything and has the potential to change everything about your life as you are sitting here in these hard pews. It has the potential to change your heart right now. And the question is, do you believe it? The answer is, I hope so. Do you believe it? The proposition is, the righteous live by faith. Now let's see how that proposition leads to power. So far we've only looked at 17 and we're making our way backwards, remember? Verse 16 helps us to see the the connection between the proposition, the truth, and power. Listen to what? 116, for I am not, many of you probably have this memorized, right? It's like one of those Sunday school kind of verses, or uh, Awana, or whatever you were, cadets, uh, Calvinettes, whatever it was, this is one of those kind of verses. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So Paul begins in verse 17 by stating he's not ashamed of this good news, of this gospel. 
This is not a small statement in any way. In our, our culture, we're starting to feel a little pinched about being Christians, right? Man, all of our religious liberties are being taken away. But think about it for Paul. During Paul's time, this writing, he had been beaten, he had been imprisoned, he'd been ridiculed, he'd been shipwrecked, he had been threatened constantly. We have nothing to complain about. In fact, he was on his way to Jerusalem and many people were concerned about what will happen when he visits the religious center of the Jewish world. Remember where he started. And who he started as. I'm Saul of Tarsus. And I was sent out to do what? Persecute the church. And now Saul is coming back as Paul with the good news of Jesus Christ. There may have also been a certain level of concern about what would happen if Paul came to the, the capital of the Roman Empire and began sharing the gospel. Remember? Rome at that point was kind of the epicenter of what was happening globally. And the church had already been kind of a little dispersed because there was a conflict going on and Claudius expelled all the Jewish Christians at that point, just said, you're out. But Paul's wanting to come back. Yet what do we find here? Paul saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel. He is willing to talk about the gospel message openly, even if people thought that he was a fool or if it was something absolutely life-threatening and dangerous. Is this, is this message about shame relevant to us today? Absolutely. Absolutely. Believing in the message of the Bible and its claim of absolute truth, not partial, absolute truth is in increasingly considered to be foolish or arrogant by our culture. To believe that salvation comes only by faith in Jesus Christ, only life eternal comes only through Jesus Christ, is something that our world views as absolutely intolerant. Unacceptable. And to suggest the biblical principles that relate to morality and family, like marriage between only a man and a woman, is somehow being portrayed as bigotry and hatred. So let me encourage you that this is not a new problem for the church. We need to have good, underline this word next, compassionate, biblically sound reasons for believing what we believe. But how do you motivate people not to be ashamed without being angry? The answer is preach the gospel to them and to yourself. Preach the gospel to them. The righteousness comes by faith. It's a gift from God, friends. What a gift. So what comes next in verse 16 is really remarkable. Paul says it is the power of God for salvation. What does he mean? It is identifying that the gospel does something significant, spectacular, powerful, something eternally significant. In verse 2, Paul says that the Jews had declared, uh, that Jesus had been declared to be the Son of God 
in the power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. So there is a connection between the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and the spirit and resurrection and power. There's a connection. The gospel has the power to create salvation in the hearts of men and women and children when they do not deserve it, when their hearts are stone hard, and it has the potential to change them immediately. So what does the gospel do? Again, another one of those Christianese terms, right? Gospel. What does the gospel do? What power does the gospel really have? Let me give you a few verses that capture the significance of what Paul is saying here. Listen to Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope and of the glory of God. We have access to God. It has created access. The wall, the barrier is gone that's good news there was no access before we now have access the gospel gives you access romans 6 4 we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father we too we too might walk in the newness of life you have the potential to live and walk new lives. Why? Because of the gospel. You better start giving me amens. Romans 8, 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. <laughs> amen? Amen. Okay. For the law of the Spirit of life, which has, has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So you've been set free from the condemnation that is found under the law. And we go, thank God, because I can never keep that law. I am hopeless to keep that law. Have you read how many are in that Old Testament? You're dead. But you've been set free. There's now no condemnation because of this gift of righteousness that comes through the gospel. Praise be to God. How about Romans 8.31? What then shall uh, we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Yeah, bring it. Isn't that like good news? You hear that? And where does that come? The gospel. What about Romans 8.37? No, in these things, we, have more, we are more than conquerors. We're more than conquerors through Him who has loved us. So there's more than just done. There's life on the other end of the, uh, other end of the battle. And actually, the battle has been fought by Christ. <laughs> uh, how about Romans 12, 3 and 4? For by grace... By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So what does the gospel do? The power of the gospel brings very different people 
a very different economic, socioeconomic, uh, race and ethnicity, all kinds of skin tones together into one body. And it makes us one in Christ Jesus. So these shootings, and whether it be uh, of an African-American man shot by police or policemen shot by an African-American man, you know what the gospel do, does? It bring, the power of the gospel brings reconciliation. And it brings us to a point of our hearts breaking and lamenting that there is disunity and this world is not the way it is or the way it should be. But you know what? As the hymn says, this is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. And how does that happen? Through the gospel. Romans 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and not sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So in the gospel, we have the ability to put to death the things that bring about death. And that's something we should go, man, I struggle with. You fill in your own blank your own personal junk, whatever it is, in Christ Jesus, I put on Christ, it's dead. And we talk, talked about in Colossians, the, the intentional atrophy that we continually work at putting these things to death. So this is why it's so tragic to only see the gospel as something that relates to where you will spend eternity. That's kind of my mantra as a kid. You accept Jesus, you go to heaven. You're Receive the gospel, you go to heaven. That's, you know, that's, kind of, that's the only way I thought of the gospel. The gospel certainly does relate to that, thanks be to God. But the idea that the righteous live by faith has sweeping effects for everywhere in our life. When a person understands the righteousness, that righteousness is an undeserved gift given by God to people who have violated and continue to violate his law, it changes everything. For example, God is no longer your judge, but he is your father. Sin is no longer seen as freedom to do whatever the heck I want to, but it is now the bondage that nearly ruined my life. You can see that Jesus is no longer just a a historical figure, but he is your personal Lord and Savior. You can see that your identity is no longer based on your personal performance, but it is based on faith. You can see that hope is not based on what happens to you, but on who God is and who is totally in control. You can see that other people are not just a part of your life, but are opportunities for selfless love. The gospel helps us see that suffering is not pointless and it's not meaningless, but divinely designed to make you more like Christ. Through the gospel, we see that obedience is not what you have to do, but it is what you want to do. We see that joy through the gospel is not merely an emotion that changes with the tide of the moment, but it is the overflow of the inexpressible content of the gospel and our contentment found in the gospel. 
I could go on, and I could go on, and I could go on. In fact, friends, those of you who are missional community leaders, this would be a great exercise for your missional community. To think, how does this proposition, the truth that the righteous live by faith, how does that proposition change the varied aspects of your life? How does my understanding of that good news change my life? You could think through the practical implications or the the contrast between you, how you thought about life before the gospel and how you think now. Here's another beautiful thing to think about. The gospel transforms people from all walks of life. And that is something that we, we can honestly say that government has not done for us. Notice that Paul says to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You see, what unites the church is so much more than just similar backgrounds or similar ethnicities or similar social stands. The church was meant to be comprised of people from all, all, all walks of life. Because that is what the gospel does, friends. It gets inside of you and it changes absolutely everything. The gospel makes you see yourself and God and sin and other people and unreached people through radically different lenses. If you are here today and you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, that is probably what is missing. And my guess is that you know it. There is something different about these people that you're sitting with. And and somehow you're feeling that this is strangely attractive and at the same time it is absolutely frightening about what you are hearing today. It's attractive because you know it could change absolutely everything. But it's scary because you know it will change absolutely everything. The very thing that you need is the very thing that scares the living daylights out of you. So I want to invite you to consider if it isn't time to turn from your sin and put your faith and trust in Christ. Today is the day of salvation. Today, the proposition, the truth that righteous live by faith in Jesus has power, friend, to change your life. So now the last section. Having looked at verses 16 and 17, let's turn our attention quickly to verses 18 through 15. I wrote this in here and I highlighted it last night and I'm not so sure it's the best words, but these are not as critical verses as verses 16 and 17. Uh, All the scripture is God-breathed, right? But there's certain scriptures that have a more pointed and clear focus for our Christian life. But these verses are still important and there's a lot in here. 
But I think you could summarize the content of these verses by looking at them through the lens of your motivation, your passion, or, or, or your emotion that's connected because of the gospel. In other words, the proposition of the gospel and its, its required, its requisite power led Paul to have a particular passion. So, this truth has power and it leads to a passion, an emotion, a, a something. It goes somewhere. It does something. I, uh, his love for the gospel created a number of things happening in his life. So, verse 8. What do we see? We see gratitude. He begins the letter by expressing his thankfulness to God and through Jesus Christ for what is happening in Rome. The gospel created something and Paul is grateful to God for what is going on there Paul wasn't just grateful for them he was grateful to God for them man brother Brad I, I thank God for you I'm just not thankful for you I am but I'm thankful to God for what he has done and is doing in you because the gospel is the connective tissue right it's not just relationship. The gospel is our connective tissue. But we also see in verse 8 that there's a mission going on. It created a mission. He's grateful because of the spreading reputation of the church in regards to their faith. I love it. it the, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Maybe that's kind of a hyperbole. Or maybe it's kind of one of those uh, talking about in all the Roman world. But man, Paul is saying, listen... Other parts of the world are learning about the gospel because of what is going on in Rome. Oh, would that be, I would pray for that to be true for us. Could you imagine? I, I would love going down to, uh, I go to a conference down in Louisville, Kentucky every other year called Together for the Gospel. I would love to bump into a stranger and somebody look at my name tag and go, are you the Paul Room from Missio Day Church in New Lenox? I go, Yes. You cannot believe what has been happening in our church because of what happened in New Lenox. Could you imagine how that propels a church and coming back and saying, your faith is being proclaimed in all the world. Oh, would that be true for us? Not for our pride's sake, but for the glory of God and the encouragement of His people, right? So, Friends, when you love the gospel, you love to hear about it spreading. And we are not threatened by a church like Parkview. When the gospel is being spread by Parkview, or the Lutheran church, or the Christian Reformed church, or the Methodist church, or the, Lutheran ch the, the other Lutheran church, or whatever church, it, when we hear about it, our hearts should be glad and not go, God, why isn't he doing it here? They took our people. No, we go, praise be to God. The gospel is spreading. And I'm excited that God is working in you. That's what should happen in our hearts. But you also see in verse 9, uh, Paul, you see this idea of prayer. Paul mentions that he is constantly praying for this church and asking that God allow him to make a visit to these people. God, come on. I want to get to Rome. I'm praying for them. I want to get there. The gospel created not only a love for these people, but it also created a love to pray for these people. 
I heard in a sermon yesterday that um, don't pray for something if you're not willing to be a part of the solution. Mm, that hurts, right? Some of you are going, oh, dang it. Not going to pray anymore. That homeless guy, this issue over here, man, God, would you fix that? And just walk away. No, no, no. A true prayer, a gospel-centered prayer, a power of prayer gives you a passion to say, God, that person, their life is a mess. And Lord, if you choose to use me, let it be. I want to be a part of this. May that be true of us. So friends, maybe there's a particular category of people with whom it's difficult for you to share the gospel. Probably is, right? I hear a lot of you men say, not my workplace. I don't want to bring the gospel to my workplace. Do you know what they'll say? How they'll view me? Maybe it's people who are really smart or co-workers or family or neighbors or people from a totally different culture that you just don't get. Could I issue a gentle but clear challenge to you? Why not pray that God would so saturate you with the gospel through this series on Romans that you will find a new level of boldness. Boldness. Why not pray this, and maybe some of you can write it down. God, help me to get the gospel so that I'll be more passionate to share the gospel with so-and-so. Help me to get the gospel so that I'm more passionate to share the gospel. A passion for gratitude, mission, prayer, spiritual growth, trust, and, and, and message all flow from, from the gospel. And when you understand the reality of what Paul means by the righteous shall live by faith, it will get into your very bones and shake you and it will become an unstoppable, unstoppable force. For it is the very power of God is found in the gospel. So verse 15, it's kind of this last little piece and it's, kind of getting to our so how do we do this verse 15 says that he was eager to preach the gospel to the people in rome even though they had already heard it they heard the gospel and they had already believed the gospel but he was eager to go to them and preach the gospel to them i tire of hearing people say this church just preaches the gospel it's so elementary well it's probably because you still haven't gotten it you need to hear the gospel over and over and over and over and over again. Paul said, I, I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel by which you were saved, and the gospel in which you stand, present tense, and the gospel by which you are being saved. Paul is saying, you need to keep, <laughs> you need it right here. So that means that the message of righteousness coming by faith is something that we need, you and I need, more than once. In fact, I hope that you're going to see today that it's something that you need every day, every passing moment. You need the gospel. You've probably heard me before uh, talk about preaching the gospel to yourself. I've talked about that before. Preach the gospel to yourself. It sounds kind of like a weird kind of statement, standing in front of a, a mirror and just saying, Paul, 
Jesus. You know, how, so how do we do this? Preaching the gospel to ourselves. So the doctor, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, wrote a book called Spiritual Depression. And in it, he said that one of our main problems is this. We listen to ourselves instead of preaching to ourselves. Right? We, we listen to ourselves and we get ourselves into an, an echo chamber of, of depression and hopelessness and, oh, woe is me, and this is impossible, or I'm scared, I can't do this, what about this, this is happening to me again. We get into this echo chamber and we get caught in this, this pattern, this looping pattern of just hearing ourselves, listening to ourselves, and building up more fear and more trepidation and more hopelessness, more and more, instead of preaching to ourselves, holding every thought captive. I'm not letting that get away. So Jones, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones suggests that we need to grab our thoughts, grab our emotions, and make them listen to biblical truth. Listen to it. We need to preach to ourselves. So what does that look like? Let me give you a few suggestions as we wrap up. First, friends, you must believe and know the gospel. To preach the gospel to yourself means you have first have to believe the gospel. And you have to know what it is. You must know that, one, you are a sinner. You are a sinner. That God is holy. That Jesus died for your sins. And by putting your faith in Jesus, you are now counted as righteous. There is no condemnation for me anymore. That is the gospel. That is the good news. And if this is not what you believe, and if you cannot articulate it, you have no power. There is no power. So no, believe the gospel. Secondly, spend time praying about the gospel. Thank God for your redemption. When's the last time you just, God, I thank you. I was a screwed up, hot mess of sin. I used to be this. I used to do this. I used to talk this way. I used to be this way. My thoughts were this way. I was this. I was that. But now, praise be to God, you saved me. Pray about the gospel. Rehearse the story in prayer about the moment when you came to faith in Christ. God, I remember that moment, and I, I want to thank you. Name some of the sins from which you have been delivered. Don't be afraid of them. If it's alcoholism, name it. Pornography, name it. I've been delivered from it. If it's hatred in your heart, if it's lust, if it's greed, if it's whatever it is, name it and thank God that he has delivered you from it or is delivering you from it. Third, this is critical too. Write down some key verses about the gospel and consider memorizing a few of them. Memorize it. The point here is to get the gospel content in your mind and your heart. Because what does the, the devil is known as the father of lies. And what does he love to do? He loves to lie. He comes and whispers in your ear and says, uh-uh. Recalling the gospel. 
is a powerful tool. And friends, I want to recommend to you a book for you. Laura and I are using this as devotions. It's called A Gospel Primer by Milton Vincent. And uh, it's a great, cheap book. And throughout this book, all it is is rehearsing the gospel daily. And they're short. Men, if you're looking, you want to do something for your family devotions? It's one paragraph, maybe two, with verses connected. What a great tool to remind each other of the gospel. And you can go back to the verses time and time again. A gospel primer. Get it. Fourth, and this is where it really gets powerful. Begin to apply the gospel to the various aspects of your life. Try to answer questions such as, how does the gospel help me ask for forgiveness? How does the gospel help me to be generous? How does the gospel help me to be less critical of other people? How does the gospel help me see my desires for sinful things differently? How does the gospel empower me to say no to temptation? How does the gospel help me lighten up about my shortcomings, my personality, or, or my mistakes? How does the gospel empower me to love those hard people? Or how does the gospel help me to do the hard things? How does it help me? Friends, this is just a short list. A short list of ways that righteousness by faith could change everything. And it was this proposition that the righteous shall live by faith that changed everything for that man, Martin Luther. And I believe with all of my heart it could be life-changing for you as well. Friends, the proposition of that the righteous shall live by faith changes absolutely everything. Amen? Let's pray.